So I used to be like, oh, you know, sex worker turned comedian. That's a nice tagline, like for publicity wise. But I've always been a comedian who just so happened to have a weird job. Right, for that a was bit. your day job. Yeah, artists need day jobs. And I was like, oh, comedy course. There's comedy courses. <laughs> you can learn how to be a stand-up comedian. Like mind fucking blow. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Miranda Kane. Hello, Miranda. (laughs) Hello. And we're recording in... One of Audible's studios, Studio 2, uh, but we're not using the equipment. We're still using my Zoom. Don't worry, I haven't sold out. Uh, I am still using the Zoom. But the sound quality today will be of a higher quality than normal, which will please some people very much. And I'm always happy to be able to please those people sometimes, since I can't please them uh, very often. (laughs) (laughs) Story of my life. Yeah, right. Um, So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Okay, I know you. First of all, I know you because I bumped into you in Edinburgh very briefly when I was quite drunk and you you were like, you're Miranda. And you told me about Spark London. And then since then, we've sort of always kind of communicated. But the main thing that I know you from is from when I did a night with you where we had sex workers telling their story on stage. That's right, yeah. I mean, so Spark London is a true storytelling night. I'm the host of uh, the Hackney branch, but we also do another night at the end of the month and I produced a kind of fundraiser for Sex Worker Open University, uh, Mm. which was showcasing sex worker stories. It didn't have to be about sex work necessarily, just a story from a sex worker. I mean, they all were about sex work, but I I liked setting it up so it didn't have to be focused on that necessarily. And I didn't want to be the the host of that night because I'm not a sex worker and I believe in in people telling their own stories. Um, And... You used to be a sex worker, so I was like, you're the best person to host. So I I, I invited you to host it, uh, and you didn't even know you were being paid. So uh, that was... (laughs) So it was very kind of you to give your time for free, uh, even though you didn't, because we did pay you, uh, because we always pay our hosts. But yeah. But I think, because Sex Worker Open University, I think it's such a great great scheme, a great... Just really fantastic for other sex workers to get together, and they host coffee mornings, and uh, they do lots of different kinds of activisms. And I've certainly learned a lot from the people who participate Mm. Uh, and I just really I just really want to sort of be like oh I can do something I'm a bit of a clown and I'm really sorry about that but I I just really want to help out in whatever way I can right (laughs) (laughs) well you help yeah I mean you you were great that night I mean I really I mean and I really enjoy your your work in general like um, when I saw you in Edinburgh I'd seen coin operated girl I'm sure I gushed about that I, I certainly like loved seeing it it was a great show like funny as well like you know I'm already coming to that show I knew about sex worker rights I've been kind of educating myself listening to sex workers for quite for probably a couple of years before seeing that show so it was really great to see because it was it's so accessible it's reaching out to to people who wouldn't necessarily like I'm I have a slight activism background, Mm. I'm interested in politics I'm not the most important person to reach I'm already kind of converted whereas Coin Operated Girl really 
hits people with the laughs well, and then the, the education comes. That's yeah. the that's the, the remit of the show. Like, I'm so well aware that there are so many activists out there who are doing really fantastic and important work and they're so well educated and they're so intelligent and, and they they just know exactly what to say. Whereas, for me, Coin Operator Girl is a way to say to Joe Bloggs on the street, look, you've got your opinion on sex workers, but this is how we work this is our sort of daily grind this is what our bugbears can be right. and it's not what you think right you know and I, I put a little bit of activism in there because I just want people to because like I said I want it to be accessible so I want people to come up to me afterwards and say my god what happened like with the Soho raids I talk about the Soho raids and they're like my god what happened that was really terrible and I'm like well if you want to support sex workers then here are some places that you can talk to and, and you know I want you to get into activism but for me I want coin operator girl to be their their first stepping stone so I I, I, I always apologize profusely to the activists out there who are doing fantastic work but they're they're a thousand miles ahead of me when it comes to being like you know fantastically eloquent about things I'm like I'm I'm the clown and I'm, I'm you know but I want to be I want the public to take an interest in sex workers' yeah. rights. And I think that comedy is one of the best ways you can do it. Absolutely. And well, and also, I mean, in comedy, I find... I mean, and, you know, you're, you're a comedian, you'll have your own opinions about this, but the thing that ruins so much comedy for me is you'll be enjoying it and then there'll be a joke at the expense of a sex worker. Yes. Or you'll be enjoying it and then there'll be a joke at the expense of a fat person. Yeah. Uh, which is another thing that you sort of talk about in, in, in your work. Yeah. Um, although that's a very complicated word. You know, the, I, I, I don't even feel comfortable using the word fat, but I uh, have been educated that I kind of should do or at least, like, there are lots of people using that, reclaiming that word. Yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of more complicated, like 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 how I would say whorephobia, but I wouldn't uh, use any word but sex worker to describe a sex worker. Yeah, it's, it, the, the language changes, but but the, those two groups seem to be the punchlines for so many jokes. Yeah, and you are someone. A representative of those two groups who get who, and it's so refreshing to sort of see you having being on stage and getting to make the punchlines about other things. Thank you. Yeah, because yeah. I, I don't do fat jokes in, um, I don't do myself an injustice of saying of doing fat jokes. I do an injustice of the of those people who do make oh, dead prostitute jokes or fat girl jokes. And the comedy world is is changing a lot. Like people who do those jokes now, they're not respected. They get pointed out very, very quickly. And fortunately, a lot of comedians that I know don't do those kind of jokes and, and we um, because they'll they'll up their game like those right. are cheap jokes they're, they're cliches right yeah. and, and, and any comedian worth their soul is hopefully trying not to speak in cliches exactly so I mean even on that level even on an aesthetic level never mind the politics those jokes should go I feel yeah. like but uh, particularly I mean it's it's like one of those things as well like your eyes get opened and then you can't unsee like you, <laughs> you, so many comedians who I like are just like oh, just uh, oh, yeah. I can't unsee the fact that you're using these kind of tropes that maybe in the past I, I didn't notice you know maybe yeah I didn't. 
I mean, I'd like to think that I would have done, but I probably wouldn't have done. But sometimes they were just so common that it's just like, we're going to laugh at... It's it, like the 80s, you know, we're going to laugh at mum-in-law jokes. We're going to laugh at these kind of jokes. We're going to yeah. laugh at someone doing a, a, a racist accent or something. Yeah. But the world moves on and people's attitudes change exactly, and it's it's... Uh, they get more educated and 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 they're like but it's so easy to do a stupid accent but nowadays they get it won't they get caught out right you know yeah i mean that's it is refreshing to see i mean i i book a lot of comedians and i so i talk talk to a lot of comedians on this show and and it does seem that there is a, a change at least yeah. in in the the kinds of comedians i like yeah. i mean i think there still is a unfortunately a market for the worst uh, <laughs> possible comedians but they're not they're not the ones i would be booking for my night anyway yeah so i don't kind of come across that so much yeah but it definitely there is a sort of it does feel like there's a sea change people are thinking a little bit more about their words yeah and i think that's a good thing yeah. i mean comedy's about using words and you shouldn't use things that you're not thinking about yeah but um, anyway, so the second question I ask everybody is, what do you do now? Which I guess we're sort of touching on. Yeah. <laughs> so now uh, I do comedy full time uh, in the more that I, I write it. And because I've spent the last last year, I was really fortunate to be asked to write a pilot for an audio sitcom. And it was part of a, a new writers competition. And we one so we've been now commissioned for a six-part series which is why we're in the studios of audible today yeah i know it's, it's exciting i've been in i've been in the audio building once before but i've never been in the studios uh-huh. um yeah i had a meeting with them uh, earlier this year about a drama uh, that i'm i'm producing an audio drama but weirdly i was in the position of like they offered me a pilot but oh. i've already recorded the series so it kind of didn't Right. Pan out, you know what I mean? Like, okay. uh, because we're already we're set to launch in the autumn, and so it was kind of like, that's really great, but we can't do it. We can't scale it back now to a pilot because we've we've got performers, we've recorded hey. them, and all of that stuff. So we were in the weird position of turning down uh, Audible, which is something I hope we don't learn live to regret. <laughs> and certainly, I'm not. I haven't turned down Audio uh, Audible as an organisation. Um, yeah. I absolutely hope to pitch. <laughs> To them just in, in the case future. they're listening but, it, but it's a different thing I think like you you had that pilot script from the start yeah. you were working with Audible whereas if you come to something you know we've already started something it's a different proposition I mean yeah. I totally w- would love to be in your position of like having them in from the start and having that shaped from the start so that you don't have to sort of let anyone down afterwards you know what I mean Like, but it's a great credit that you just went out and, and did it yourself <laughs> well so yeah I mean let's see it's coming out in the autumn and I hope hope that doing it ourselves will work but we'll see i mean getting getting the audience to fund a podcast is a really hard business so we'll yeah. see we'll see if i regret it in the future <laughs> um but it's nice to be in the actual studio and it's exciting that you're uh, getting your pilot made i mean yeah. i remember when you were sort of in the process of you know people the public voted right yeah. so so i remember you know encouraging people to to vote for you yeah. and i'm very pleased that you you kind of are here in this building you, you're you. exactly uh, the kind of person that I hope that the audible would be, would pick up and and amplify the voice of right oh thank you so yeah so you're a comedian and what your the show we were talking about earlier on coin operated girl mm. is about how you used to be a sex worker yeah so before but before we get into the sex worker element of your past I mean how about comedy how did comedy happen comedy has just been like I so I used to be like oh you know sex worker turned comedian and it's 
I mean, that's a nice tagline, like, for publicity-wise, but I've always been a comedian who just so happened to have a weird job. Right, that was your day job. Yeah. Artists need day jobs. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I started comedy at school, really, like, wow. doing... You know when you have, like, weird lunchtime shows and things mm. like that? I was always the one to be hosting them and and being, you know, that sort of... I was the loud girl at school. <laughs> um, I am surprised. I know. It's weird, isn't it? Um, so I was always doing that. I did it. Uh, I did more drama at college, but college kind of it, it ruined it for me because it lost the play. So all right. of that pizzazz that goes into being a comedian, all of that personality, they're like, y- we can't see any of that. You have to be this character, which is great. But I thought that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to do acting. Uh, but actually, all I wanted to do was just be a massive attention seeker. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. Some actors act themselves yeah. and some actors lose themselves and replace that with whatever role yeah. they... And both of those different kinds of actors are valuable and important. Yeah, absolutely. You know? But I just, I just sort of saw these... Now that I'm older and I can see people who have learnt their craft, and it is a craft, it mm. takes... And, and there are even people out there who are... Who are well-known actors and they'll still go back and learn something they'll learn the Meisner technique they'll learn method or something and they're always always working on their craft and I really respect that in much the same way as comedian is they're they're like oh we'll we'll do a writing course or a clowning course or something so I did it uh, so I you know was doing like drama and everything at college and and uh, I went more into doing backstage work in university and training and stuff and then I moved to London with the high hopes of doing stand-up comedy nights. And I think I did, like, one and just completely bombed. And in the meantime, I had a really bad, like, day job, like, just, like, a horrible call centre. And so, yeah, so I... I I know it sounds terribly convoluted, just going, so, yeah, I just ran into sex work. Uh, uh, But that was was basically what happened. It was just like, well, that's an easier job. It's a fun job. It's a more well-paying job. And I don't see anything wrong with it, and I've never seen anything wrong with right. it. And right. um, I thought, well, I'm being so terribly treated by guys that I'm dating or meeting off dating sites where they're just having a day or, you know, just end up having a bit And then you never hear from them again. And I'm like, if that's going to happen to me, I'd rather get in paid, like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. get paid. I totally understand that decision. I mean, <laughs> that's a very understandable decision. And I, I mean, I... I don't know. I, I've always definitely. I find it kind of strange that I know that there is a stigma around sex. Yeah. Work, right? I totally understand that that exists in the world, but I don't feel it. Like I, I yeah. don't have any. I, I'm not disgusted by the idea. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you're not either, right? And and so for me, I've always thought, yeah. I mean, I now I understand this is quite a naive thing to say, um, but I've I've always thought, you know, yeah, I would I would love to do sex work. Yeah. But I I don't think there's much of a market for the kind of man I am, <laughs> um, which is not to say that I I don't have value as a a lover or as a friend or whatever. Ever, yeah. but I'm more of a a grower. You have to get to know me <laughs> a little bit. Uh, whereas I feel like if I was a a better looking in certain classical ways if you like guy I would probably yeah I probably would uh, would try it but it doesn't matter I'm not classically looking yeah no I know but I think it's very it is different for men and women within the the dynamic I'd happily go gay for pay but if I go gay for pay I have to look even better looking, I think, <laughs> uh, in some ways. But yeah, I mean, there is, I, I don't know, you, you can speak to this more than I, I can, but I mean, I think that there, you, as you know, there is, a, there is a market for lots of different kinds of people yeah. uh, for women, but yeah. I'm not sure that we're quite there, partly because there's, there's such a stigma around it that I don't think 
that women are much less likely to pay for sex. I think that's yeah, at the moment. Um, at the I, moment. At the moment, yeah, because uh, let's just say it's a very shallow pool out there. It's not good. Because I've looked into male um, sex workers as straight male sex workers right. but um, there are so m- all there's so many guys that are gay for pay or, or just are gay sex workers and that's great but for me sort of looking around if you look at some of the listing sites for female sex workers and you look at the how the men are listing themselves the men are listing themselves like they would on Tinder right. without any charm without any delicacy <laughs> without any eloquence right. they're just literally like uh, here's a picture of my cock yeah, and yeah. it's like that's. that's I mean, not that's what women want. Not, that, I mean, not to say that some women don't, but but most most women, I don't think want. That. But you wouldn't look at a female uh, sex worker's advert and just see a picture of her vagina. No, no you wouldn't. You know, so it's <laughs> like, come on, guys, let's let's up that up your game. I think there are women who would pay. There's definitely women who would pay for sex, and and and. But the guys just aren't selling themselves properly. Right. Well, maybe, maybe there's a gap in the market. I, maybe I'll get get there eventually. And then... I, I will quite happily give lessons, guys. <laughs> I know how this needs to be done. Don't don't worry about it. But I think I do think that there is kind of almost like although there is a massive stigma about men paying for sex I think there is kind of almost more of a stigma for a woman like people sort of see that as somehow more desperate yeah and so I think that does complicate it a little I I think there are loads of heterosexual men who are essentially doing sex work out there but they're kind of like they have sugar mummies and so they don't see themselves as sex workers yeah there's a lot of men out there where rich women are paying for for their lifestyles but they're not actually kind of making it as clear-cut as kind of transaction i think a yeah. financial transaction which you know but like but i've also seen adverts of like um so there's one like major listing site which i'm not going to name because it's everyone knows it if you know it but it's and it's a bit vile <laughs> um, only because they rip off the sex works and i don't like that like i've seen listings of these male sex workers and they're like yeah uh, so i'm happy to see anyone between 25 and 35 who's petite and blonde and who's shaved what? And it's like you can't, you no, no, you can't do that. You can't ask what your client's going to look like. A sec, I never. Uh, There's some stipulated. You, you can probably stipulate cleanliness. Absolutely. And, I'm sh- and I think sadly that's a, a, a stipulation that's, that sex workers have to make all the bloody time. Yeah. <laughs> we've just. Can I just tell you? A little, <laughs> we've just literally had lovely, lovely Richard Herring has just come in and played our gross guy who doesn't shower or anything <laughs> and guys you've got to listen like if, any, if there's a reason to listen to slaving weights for richard herring's 30 second cameo sorry sorry <laughs> no i'm sure note. it'll be a good one um and yeah he's a great he's a great casting for that i think <laughs> yeah. i can imagine him doing that really well so yeah you can stipulate cleanliness but, yeah. I, uh, but I but absolutely it's kind of counterproductive like isn't part of the i mean i i would imagine if i was a sex worker catering to heterosexual women that it would be people who don't fit conventional yeah. beauty standards who have more reason to uh, n- want, want to pay to. for it yeah. although that's again a cliche you know which probably doesn't stand out I'm sure that people who are very conventionally attractive um, probably get sick of a lot of things that come with dating and might yeah. like a no strings situation yeah. um, I mean basically men are just 
like terrible in lots of ways, which kind of <laughs> makes it harder for men in general to yeah. to do anything. Um, and I think again, I think it's a different proposition a, a, a woman uh, paying for sex because of safety uh, yeah. that the, the, they don't know if they're going to be safe when they go to that man. Obviously, a, a woman who is a sex worker doesn't know if they're going to be safe either, and there's a lot of complexities around that. But yeah. it's a you know it, it's a different proposition for a man to go somewhere and pay for sex. Like they're they're less in fear of their life. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there's there's those kind of things that keep it uh, un, unequal. But anyway, I mean, let's not talk talk about the fact that men uh, <laughs> there there is a there aren't enough heterosexual male sex workers. That's not <laughs> sorry. I mean, sorry, no, I'm no, talking. sure. We I mean it's it's a, it's a perfectly reasonable topic, but I don't want to w- waste my time with you talking about that. So you started doing sex work mm-hmm. to fund your life while you were waiting to become a comedian. Yeah, or more just to to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Right. Because I studied media, so I was, I was working in like radio stations and like content providers and stuff. And it always seemed to be a very like you're a freelancer, and everyone in the media is a freelancer. Mm. And it's like I, I love this world, but I don't want to be on a, a six month contract that can also end at any minute. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I just didn't have the confidence to go into performing. I'd always been told no one wants a fat leading lady. No one wants... uh, There was no one on the television that reflected me. Nowadays, it's very few and far between. Mm. But when I was growing up, the only people that I could look up to were Dawn French and Joe Brand. And as lovely and as fantastic as they are, they didn't reflect who I was. uh, Dawn French, very tweed, vicar of Dibley. She did everything very well but also everything by the book right joe brand however was sort of a bit more dirtier a bit but she also took the piss out of herself yeah a lot and i was like if i went into performance i'd want to be a, a, a strong dynamic motivational woman i i don't want to stand there and take the piss out of myself which is why i didn't do stand-up comedy because all i could think of was just oh just stand there and take the piss out because that's what joe brand does I wanted to to give people a story and an insight into what it was like to be me and to be ambitious and to be driven and to not care about what people think about me and to say to other people who who are fat and just to say, you can do something with your life. But at that time, I, I just couldn't think of anything to say. But so I did, which is ironic because now all I talk about is sex work. (laughs) When at the time I was just like, I don't have anything to say. What's funny? But then I hit 30 and I was a little bit more, I need to sort out what I'm doing with my life. Right. I'm... I'm not enjoying sex work as much as as I used to because it felt more like work <laughs> if yeah. I could say that but clients were becoming more difficult and it felt like I was having to go on tour a lot more and and I just didn't like you know living in a hotel for five days well, yeah and it's funny that you sort of said that you didn't want to go into the arts like in because it was all freelance work yeah but, it, but, but sex work is kind of essentially a freelance existence yes you know you're dependent each time on your client and the, yeah. the payment and all of that yeah. so I can see how that would have got a drag for someone who that didn't appeal to in the first place yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know I never thought about it like that but yeah I just yeah that's exactly what it but I felt more in control like right, to me it was absolutely. like if I wanted to leave 
I, I can just leave. I just turn my phone off. Whereas, like, working for someone else, and it's like, I've just done all this work, and you're the one getting the money, and then you're like, you can fuck off right. now. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, no, so, it's not the same kind of freelance. You're absolutely right. But but I still like the, the <laughs> comparison. I ain't going to take that. Keep it. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just... And also, when I started sex work, there weren't that many plus-size women doing it. Right. So I knew about, I could still, like, 12 of them, something like that. And we used to get together for, like, Christmas parties. <laughs> and some of them are still, like, really good right. friends of mine. And, and they, were, they were inspirational. Like, one of them cornered the market on plus-size escorts. And she had her own listing sites. And she would do her own, she had her own photography studio. And so she was like, right. I know what you need to do to look good as a plus size escort in your pictures. You know, you emphasize these and you take that away. And yeah. and it was amazing to meet these women because they weren't bitchy. They were like, oh, well, you're new. Make sure you look out for this. Right. And this was all before National Ugly Mugs. And so you right. had to have your wits about you. But they still kept in contact with each other. But then as time went on, that that dissolved because the market got a bit more flooded. There were more and more plus-size women doing it. I think that when I was, like, uh, uh, in the last few dregs of it, it was, like, I'm now competing against, like, 3,000 plus-size escorts in London alone. But then when you look at it, because you could tick all the boxes and go, I'm looking for a plus-size escort in London who does this, blah, 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 on these listing sites. And so when you'd look and you'd be like, oh, God, I'm in this swamp, I'm in this sea, no, you know, yeah. and some of them are size 12 going, oh, I'm a plus-size Right. It's like, you're not, you're lovely, <laughs> and I'm sure you're very kind to animals, but you're not, you know, so it's, it was just like a bit, wasn't enjoying it, so I hit 30 and was like, right, let's really think about what I was doing and, and it was just purely by accident that I was watching a, a show with Greg Davis and the Welsh guy who oh he's fantastic but I can't remember the his Welsh name Welsh guy yeah he does to... the thing with the handle uh, that he lost his suitcase Rod Gilbert right oh thank god oh that would have pissed everyone off sorry <laughs> and I was watching a show with him and someone just turned around and went um, oh you did the same comedy course together and I was like oh Comedy course, there's comedy courses. <laughs> you can learn how to be a stand-up comedian, like mind fucking blown. And it was just there and then. I, I just sort of looked, found a comedy course run by Logan Murray, as it, lots lots of comedians have, and and just signed up there and then. And just thought this is a chance to do something. And even if it goes nowhere, it will just be nice to see how or if I could do it. So I did a comedy course and, yeah, started gigging. Right. So you started gigging. I mean, was it was your first, was your, mater was your original material about sex work? No, my original material, I did what a lot of, of female comedians do, and I know I'm being really generalistic there, and I don't mean to be, but it, it's just something that I personally have noticed that lots of female comedians when they start do a character right which i think is quite telling so right. that they'll do a character and i did a character so i just did this stupid woman who one runs a you know in her mind she runs a dating site but she's really bitter that she'd been dumped and right. you know who'd been stalking her ex on facebook and right. it, it literally lasted for like three gigs or something <laughs> and then after that i would just sort of played around a bit more and did a bit more stand-up stuff but I think it was only I was a bit of a I was a bit of a ballsy dickhead in that like I get someone 
from my course had uh, spot it, it said let's go to Edinburgh and we'll do a sketch show so we went up there only for like three days or something but when I c- came back I was like oh that's how you you do a fringe you just sign in and you say I'd like to do a show about this and they give you a venue <laughs> like wow <laughs> so and so I saw that the Camden did a fringe and I, I was just like well I've got this whole like all these weird stories yeah and if I just do a show, if I just do a little show, if I just talk about it on stage for an hour, then what could go wrong? <laughs> and it, it, I just I, I just signed up and put down for the coin operator girl. And I did it in the Camden Fringe in 2012 for three days, thinking it was just going to be three days, that's it. But then one of my friends, uh, Fenella Fudge, saw it. She was like, you have to take this to Edinburgh. You have to, you have to. <laughs> and she started working with me on it and we got a producer and from there got a director and da-da-da, da-da-da. And then, then next year at Edinburgh, it started to get four and five-star reviews. Right. And then I started working on it more as a stand-up show rather than storytelling, which is what I'd done with the first yes. one. Yeah. And so now it's more of a, a stand-up show. Right. And you sort of basically do it every year at the moment, right? Yeah, I'm, this is going to be, oh, she said. So last year, yeah. I did it to plug the pilots uh, of Slaving Away because because Audible were, they sponsor the Pleasants every year. Um, so I thought, well, if I can do the show and then that gives me access to hundreds of people and then at the end of the show, I'd be like, by the way, I'm doing this sitcom. Please go away and vote for it. It's right. free to download. So I did it as a plug to get the sitcom yeah. on board. What? <laughs> as well as your lovely plugging and everyone else's lovely plugging. So now I'm going back up this year to plug the rest of the series. Right. So, But I'm hoping that this is going to be the last year. It's not because I don't enjoy doing this. I love doing the show. But I'm just thinking everyone's getting a bit bored. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing, though. I mean, I guess the reason you've done it for so long is that so few people are aware of sex worker rights mm. and issues around it. Exactly. It, there is kind of a market for, for it because, yeah. you know, each Edinburgh, you'll have a whole load of completely unaware people stumbling into the, the show and suddenly being having their lives kind of, uh, maybe not changed completely, but hopefully, uh, like, illuminated a little, uh, a spark of opinion. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. what I really, really want. And it's like, I, I, and that's what I, I really enjoy from it when people turn around and start asking me questions. I always say, because I do a little Q&A at the end, and then I'm always like, well, I'll be in the bar afterwards, so if you've got anything you want to come and ask me about, then please do, or tweet me, or anything like that. Because I just want them to have a little little spark or something like the next time they read the guardian and or or the independent or something and there's a story about sex workers i'm always like oh look see if there's any sex workers that are involved in the article right who says i was a sex worker and this is my opinions or is it just people who are like well we work for a, a savior charity yeah. you know or we do this yeah. you know and it's just like, i don't want to hear about you i want to hear from sex workers yeah. and that's what i'm sort of trying to say to the people on the street you know come and see my show yeah you think it's going to be a good laugh with your little stag mates that's fine but here's also the the bomb where you can hear that we need 
sex workers' rights. Right. You know. I mean, and I mean, I guess those not the, not necessarily the saviour charities, but the the people from that side of the. I don't even want to dignify it with a side to call it a side. I don't even <laughs> think it's an issue that has sides in that way. Um, but the, the, those kind of people tend to sort of say that the only sex workers we hear from are always super privileged, and they're yeah. always people with stories a little bit like yours, which is. I enjoyed doing it and I decided to do it and it was empowering. Yeah. Um, well, with the, which it's not, you didn't use the word empowering and I don't mean to say that, but, <laughs> but that's the way that they like to frame sex workers. Whereas in fact, there are lots of different voices that are never heard. Yeah. Um, and they, they claim to be the advocates of, of these unheard voices, but the, mm. yet they never actually amplify those unheard voices. No. Um, the people I see amplifying those voices are sex workers uh, yeah. with a little bit of privilege themselves that can then amplify people who have less privilege or whatever. Yeah. I mean, has it been a sort of... Have you learnt about sex work like in a more nuanced way? Oh, God, yeah. This whole journey has been just so... Like, I just look back at myself four years ago and think, you fucking dickhead. <laughs> you didn't know anything about sex worker rights or... or or anything about the hoariarchy. Ho- ho- um, Sorry, it's one of those words that I've always seen written down. No, me too. I'm not sure quite how to say it either. But the hierarchy of sex workers. Yeah. And <laughs> just, and I absolutely openly admit that I was like, oh, but that's a world that I didn't, you know, if people would ask me about it, I'd be like, oh, but that's a world that I don't know about. And it's like, but now I'm like, no, there is no hoariarchy. We have to work together. We have to, if we've got a voice, use the voice for the, so that other people can have help and not in a not in a rescue way in a way that we can say we need to have rights we need to the law to change we need women to be able to work together we need uh police forces to work more like the merseyside model and and make sure that sex worker voices are heard if they get attacked mm. we're not going to be able to change the fact that there are street workers unless we change society right and that's not going to happen and anytime poverty, soon. And poverty, not prostitution, is it, the bag that I have from the sex worker exactly. uh, from university. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is a, a great slogan, but awkward on public transport to have. Uh, <laughs> I have learnt. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, in, in a way, I want to start that debate. In a way, I'm not the right person to be starting that debate, but certainly it's awkward on public transport. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, this is why I'm the clown. I'm like, yeah, I'm just giggling away at that <laughs> well, yeah, rather than starting a whole, like, you know. I mean, it is funny. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, this kind of, yeah, people often present sex workers and sex worker rights activists as being kind of not pro-safety, when in fact they're always arguing for safety. And yeah. if you want people to, to not have to, in inverted commas, do sex work, like survive for survival, then you have to change the circumstances around that. Yeah, no one should have to do sex work just to keep a, a roof over their head or to feed their children, right. you know? No one should have to do sex work because they've got a drug problem. They should be given rehab or or there are other ways. But to say, oh, we need to just ban sex work altogether and not give those people an, an exit, the right. exit they need, the money and the benefits that they need, then that it's just completely completely uh, I mean, the, the the message it seems to me and i say this as a, i'm a man i'm not a sex worker it's not mm. really my place but the the message often seems to me to be you should suffer 
even worse because of the fact that we don't like the yeah. world that is around you. Yeah. You know, like, you should suffer for all women. Like, like because they sort of say, like, the argument is often that sex workers somehow are, like, devaluating all women. And so it's, it hurts all of us. And so you shouldn't do that thing to stay alive and oh, to, to yeah. fund yourself. And in fact, it's like, what, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you and, and wanting you... those poor people to suffer even more if that uh, yeah. job is paying for their food and their, their their children's education or whatever it is you know but just as like a, a, a this is sort of my thing with with radical feminists of like the whole oh yeah uh, a sex worker is a manifestation of the patriarchy and i'm like but why do you think that why where has that come from has that come from because you've read Jermaine Greer is that your own opinion because i hadn't looked into into feminism and because it's such a um uh, a fantastic thing but but there was it wasn't around not that it wasn't around any but it, it wasn't as big no it's really accessible now really at this moment in time it's exactly. much more accessible than it's been for a long time yeah but i but i also didn't grow up um reading Jermaine Greer right. I, you know I, I hadn't looked into it so it's like for my personal opinion i'm like how can you say that me getting paid for sex is a manifestation of patriarchy rather than me doing it for free. Right, right, right. I don't get that. Like, look on Tinder and how awful men treat women on there. And they're like, yeah, because sex workers uh, sell themselves. So men think that they're, they're, they're just an object who's there to be bought and sold. It's like, well, but they give money. They give something. Right. There is something, there is the transaction yeah. there. Whereas them seeing women who are just, you know, thinking they'll just do it for free, they'll not put a, a value on it. Right. My, like, metaphor is, because I've been doing comedy and there is this similar trait in comedy and this is what I, a lot of comedians talk about and, and it's give yourself a value. And, okay, I'm going to say something and I, and, and I apologise if you don't agree, but this is just my really, really simplistic way. This is me with a crayon (laughs) trying to simplify my thought process, which is when you go into a comedy night, there are so many that are free. So you walk in there and you're given 12 comedians and you, and it's, there's a reason they're doing it for free. And it's you, whether it's work on material or something like that. But you walk out there and you go, ah, that was free. Fuck it. You know, I'm not going to bother with them. You know, that was rubbish. Whereas if you go to a comedy night for and you pay £12, you can have those exactly the same 12 comedians doing exactly the same material. But because you've paid your £12 ticket, you're like, this is brilliant. Yeah, you're funny because I've just paid that that £12. You're putting a value on it, you know? And that's how that's probably something, a very controversial opinion, but it's something that is just a really simplistic way. Like for me um, now, I feel like I have a sexual value, whereas beforehand I didn't. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does make sense. <laughs> and that's yeah. just me, but that's my own opinion. I'm not saying that that's a sex worker rights activist thing. That's just uh, sort of like, I just see these women on Tinder putting up with these, these kind of horrible, terrible lines from blokes. And I'm like, don't write back to him, mate. No, he's he's no good for you. But when you see the guy who's going to value you, 
that's who you write back to. Right. You know? I mean, in a way, it's not even about money. It's just that money is one. It's the current way that we can value things yes. within our society. Like yeah. it's definitely something people in the arts need to think about in terms of we do we make art because we want to make it. Yeah. Like so, it's kind of an awkward thing of like we're we're producing this thing without potentially knowing that we're going to be able to sell it. But then because of that, we end up giving it away for free all the time. Yeah. I mean, and, I, and I think it is very comparable to sex. Yeah. And I th- and also I think because of that artists should absolutely always support sex worker rights because yeah. it's very much a similar thing like artists need to be advocating for artists rights workers rights for artists yeah uh, and we're not enough and we should do so more um so we should definitely support other people who are working to, on those on those very yeah. rights that we need because if you look at the things like the, the the Sainsbury's advert that was out um, a, while, a little like just recently, where it was saying, "Oh yeah, uh, yeah, we need someone to like paint our cafeteria, yeah. uh, but it's great exposure." How is that different to a bloke turning around to a woman and saying, "Look, I really do want to be your boyfriend, and I'm going to take you out for dinner and on this mini break, but I think you know, just to seal the deal, we should just." you know get into bed and you know or so many girls like that whole sort of thing of like oh if I have sex with him then he'll like me if I paint this restaurant then they might get me to do their multi-million pound campaign right I mean I think definitely as a good rule for sex like have sex if you want it or if you're being paid don't don't have sex because you think it's going to have some kind of effect like a magical effect on someone I think you know whatever gender you are that's a good rule yeah have sex if you like be a slut man like I'm not saying like don't have sex um, unless he's put a ring on I'm saying like go have sex but go in there with your eyes open as in like this is it I'm not doing this to you know go and meet his parents I'm doing this because I just want to get my pipes cleaned you know and that's that's great go for that I mean and that's very much kind of my attitude as an artist as well like I'll make art if I want to make art but I'm not going to make art for somebody unless they're going to pay me because it's not my art yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) like you know if they want to pay me then I'll do whatever they want Um, but I I'll only make my own art when I want to make it for myself, you know, and I think it is a very comparable thing. And, and actually, you know, actors uh, is a very, acting is a very similar profession in lots of ways to yeah. to sex work. And it's always very frustrating to hear actors have kind of, you know, whorephobic attitudes yeah. uh, because they are so kind of close in terms of they're paid to provide certain kinds of service and to pretend to be interested or whatever in other people yeah. or in as a you know and all of those sorts of things and there is you know obviously there's a history of of actors and sex workers kind of there's a there's quite a big crossover yeah. between those two professions anyway but i think that's um sort of why you get people like Anne Hathaway and Meryl Streep who are saying right. oh yeah no sex work is bad and we shouldn't be able to do it because they're literally like like with a barge pole just poking sex yeah. workers as far away from them rather than saying well actually this is where our, our history comes right. from and we should we should celebrate the women who maybe had to do sex work or they had to have that stigma attached upon them and we should be working to get rid of the stigma yeah. rather than get rid of the sex workers right yeah so you've done this show for quite a while yeah. and it's about sex work and you're kind of your brand is sex work and your your audible show is also about sex work <laughs> Um, I mean, what about, like, do you do other, like, is, are you interested in other things in yes. terms of comedy? Like, is saying some new things that you... Yeah, you know? yeah, I'm so sorry, guys. I have bored <laughs> you for years. I'm so sorry. But at the end of the day, is sex work decriminalised? No, so I'm going to no, keep banging you my should. drum. You absolutely but, <laughs> should. But, I mean, what are the but, other things that you're interested in I'm in just comedy? so enjoying 
having audiences and being able to play around with audiences and being able to play around with fringe theatre, being able to, to, to have a stage and someone say to you, right, we've got a fringe going on for a week, here's a stage and there'll probably be an audience if you fly her enough, so have at it. And I'm, ha- I'm just enjoying having that confidence, so I'm coming up with a, another show, which is just basically one that I'm just going to write as I go, because I just want to play around on stage. Right. I want to, I want to clown. I want to not talk about sex work in it. <laughs> I want to, I want to just be Miranda and and not Miranda Kane. Just be dickhead Miranda and just be like, other shit does happen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so yeah, I am working on something else, but it's not a formed thing at right. the moment. So it's more like this kind of gaseous of thoughts but that's what I that's what I want because I don't want another formed thing this coin operator girl is scripted and regimented and slaving away scripted and, and done but it, it feels like that because that's there that's done that I can now use the sort of 16 year old Miranda and, <laughs> and all that weird gas right. that was in her head when she was right. 16 and just play and, and just have a, a go at everything else and and. Th- not have a message not have a, a an activism thing just just be a comedian and talk to an audience because I have got that I have got that confidence now and I've got the knowledge that I can stand on stage and have a presence and it doesn't have to come with a, a message I can stand because I've been doing like like every time I do a gig if it's not coin operated girl when I do just a comedy gig it's not about sex work Right. It's because that's just too much. If you yeah. come to see Coin Opera Girl, you come for a reason. But if you stand on stage in front of someone in a pub for 10 minutes and you go, so, hey, I used to be a sex worker, then they're like, what? Yeah. And that's all they think about for 10 minutes. So they don't listen to the jokes. They don't listen to what you're saying. Well, you need an hour to get to the nuances as well. Yeah. Like, there's, there's so much like misinformation you've got to battle through that you, you yeah. can't do that in 10 minutes. It's, it's, exactly. And I think people have just got this sort of idea in their heads of me because I've had to plug all this a lot that I this is all I talk about but it, it's not if no. you come to see me in like you know a gig in Plymouth or something for right. 10 minutes then I'll you know I'll talk about just other shit do you yeah. know what I mean so but it feels like I've needed to do this to get that confidence to say I am a performer I am a comedian enabled yeah. to do that but also you know. I mean you have a a, 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 a platform to a certain extent now as well and it makes sense to be using that to, yeah. to advocate for people in the situation that you have previously been in and yeah. you know for the people that you know your friends in yeah. sex work like I guess it's a kind of a responsibility but I wouldn't put that on you but I'm I'm, I'm sure you might feel it that way yeah you know what I mean um to, to sort of and but you've done that for a long time now, yeah. and once the, the the audible drama that you're recording at the moment, like you know, we're doing this after you've been recording in the day, right? Yeah. You know, after that's laid down, then you can kind of like fully spread your wings, I guess. Yeah, I sort of see it was like a it's like a balloon. Like you guys are just going to have to put up with me doing this for for a little bit longer, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there's going to be like. Pub, if there's publicity, then I'll do exactly yeah. all the same lines and everything like that. But then uh, it's like, it, but then I want it to fade, and I want it to be the oh, she's that comedian, 
um, didn't she used to be a sex worker a while back or something? You, you know, yeah. and it, it might be that I just end up doing gigs on a Saturday in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, but at least I'll be doing <laughs> those gigs, yeah. you know? So, and, and, you, and you've moved away from London, haven't you? So, you, like, mm. that's where you, you moved to London to sort of like, you were saying earlier on to sort of like tune into sort of the, yeah. the scene. Yeah. Uh, but then you decided to move away from yeah. that scene. I mean, why did you do that? Well, um, my family lived down in Dorset anyway, so right. it was nicer to go down there. And my, like my my nieces and nephews were all growing up, and it sort of felt like I just didn't really know them. And and my mum, well, it's a beautiful was, place to have family to be able oh, to move to. It's gorgeous. Like it's so nice down there. And I live in a I live in a flat that's like. Uh, I can. Uh, I'm ten seconds away from the sea. I'm ten seconds away from a harbour side, <laughs> and because it's a small town, so anything like comedy that happens, uh, people just flock to it. They're like, "Oh, something's happening in our little town!" Yay! Yes, right. So my idea was, I really want to get like a, a comedy night running there, but because I sort of kind of got a bit disenfranchised and my I lost my confidence, and so I didn't really get up and 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 do as much as that as I I should have done cuz I'm also very lazy but <laughs> so I but I'm now kind of getting to grips with what the scene is there and, and it, you know and they do have like this really random open mic night that I do and and but that to me has been the most freedom that I've felt mm. in years because there I'm just I'm just dickhead Miranda I'm not Miranda Kane they've never heard of Miranda Kane I'm not you know if I go to an open mic night in London then it's like I don't want to don't I don't want to like I have to be I'm trying to be greedy and I don't want to do your put the name in the hat and come out five hours later I want to say well I need to I'd like to open or close or something you've been doing it for a long time you've got a profile you should be yeah I mean you have like you know you you have values you know as a comedian as well as sexual values I don't want to go back and have a one night stand you know so but in in Weymouth but it's still like you know it's I I found this lovely sort of night where no one so I can just fuck about you know no one cares because no one's even really watching it's just a couple of drunk people in the corner and and there's a bloke that gets up every week and does acoustic opera I'm like this (laughs) yeah yeah I'm like if he can get away with doing acoustic opera I can just get away with absolutely just having a play and that's what I've wanted for a long time and I'm not saying that I'm staying down there uh, you know just to do that but it's just like oh I can do it if I just put aside my editor and and I just get rid of this part of my brain that's like just you know oh you have this this, you have to keep this up you have this brand and it's like I don't have you know it's like I I want to just I want to do more clowning like I want to sign right. up to Golia or or, or yeah. you know do something like that and expand uh, my knowledge and you know like I said about actors learning different things comedians learning different things like that's that's what I want to do you know yeah so yes well, that's cool well it's cool that it's, I mean it's cool that that is I mean that you're that you're having the opportunity to sort of start to do that and to play yeah. and all of that stuff that's really cool and so I mean so that this the 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 Audible series is called Slaving Away, right? Yes. And so what's the what's the premise of it? <laughs> <laughs> it's the utterly mundane life of a dominatrix. Right. So I was getting... I was so tired of seeing whenever someone does something about sex work, it is either drug victims or... Not drug victims, but drug addicts or victims of violence 
um, you know, people in a vulnerable position, or it was uh, the more sort of higher class aspect right. of Belle de Jour. Belle de Jour, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, but, but if I could see Belle de Jour going out and buying cat foods, then, then yeah, there's, and again, it comes back to <laughs> I wanted to see something on telly that related to me. Right. You know, I want to see, uh, uh, like, I wanted to see a fat girl be, be kick ass. I also wanted to, be, to see a sex worker who was like I'm tired of getting on buses I hate getting on the tube my feet are killing me after wearing stilettos so slaving away the premise is just the utterly mundane life so we have the whole story is very character driven and it's it's just like about life with friends trying to balance telling people not telling people living with a flatmate you know trying to make sure your parents don't find out and but then interspersed with that we have all these random clients but it's never that sort of straightforward of uh, we just have sex or I just beat you on the bottom it's it's all their fetishes coming out and all the weird things that you wouldn't expect right which is you know predictable I'll, I'll take that but what <laughs> but my thing which is unpredictable is just the mundane everyday life-to-life thing yeah. that you don't hear about, you know. I mean, I think that's a really important thing, generally speaking, that we don't see in the media generally is no. the mundane aspects of people's lives. Because it would be too hard for them to humanise a sex worker, you know? Whereas, like, for me, every sex worker that I've known is just, you wouldn't know that, you don't know that they're a sex worker. No. At all. No. But you see someone on the telly when they're a sex worker and it's like, yeah, they're dressed as a sex worker. Whereas, like, for me, I wanted something where, um, and I know it's audio, so you won't be able to see them dressed, but you will definitely be able to hear in the voice that it's not it's not stereotype it's it's a whole new stereotype it's a, it's not a human but it's it's humanizing yeah. you know and that's what i i've really wanted to do humanize yeah no it's i mean really excited to hear it last question i ask everybody is do you have anything to plug and i guess we're sort of starting that <laughs> so so yeah where when is it coming out and all of that stuff uh it'll be coming out in august it'll be available on audible.com <laughs> um and it will be i think it'll be free i think and i, mean, I think you've got to sign up to audible yes you? and then yeah. once you're on audible you can get all of the different things yeah. that audible do and one of those things is is slaving away yeah and you can use your amazon account as well I think. right and then if you just leave a nice review then it hopefully means we can get a second <laughs> series yeah well i mean i hope so i mean i'm looking i'm looking forward to hearing it uh, I, I guess i'll have to sign up to audible in order to to hear it but i guess i guess i probably should do that if i intend to work with them in the future <laughs> <laughs> Don't want them ch- checking their back out. Well, you, you've never, you've never signed up. So yeah, you're, you're not really committed. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's it. Must be exciting, exciting to finally have it coming out into the world. Yeah, I mean, and you've you've got, I mean, Richard Herring's in it, right? I yeah. mean, there's quite a, you've got quite a quite a an A list comedy kind of. Well, yeah, you know, quite a few well known comedians. Yeah, say, in yeah. It. I mean, how did 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 that happen through Audible, or did that just happen because you you knowing them from the circuit? We've got a couple of people that I. I'd sort of known from Edinburgh um, and who'd uh, I don't when does this come out I oh, well know. it can come out whenever's convenient like when's the best time for it to oh, come out well if I, I sort of say, if I drop names yeah. and then like when I say oh it's okay yeah to give me the now. go ahead and then yeah. I'll just put it out okay yeah, yeah, yeah. so we've got um, <laughs> uh, Phil Jupitus and Brendan Burns who I know from Edinburgh because their shows were on after mine so they know like what I do and, right. and they very 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 kindly you know I sort of sent them an email saying please please come and do this and so they've signed up uh, Richard Herring 
uh, because the producer, the executive producer of this is John Holmes, and he works really closely with Richard Herring's producer on Rahalas Re- Pa right. on the <laughs> Richard Herring's Lesser Square Theatre podcast, which is really good as well. So they had that common connection, and I really wanted Richard as the as. Uh, the guy that we've got him as <laughs> and so also John Holmes also knew, knows Hugh Dennis so and he's in it and then me and the producer we both had one dream casting each so it's like you know if we could get anyone and he's chosen Catherine Steadman but that was his pick and my pick was Anthony Head from yeah 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 Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and did you get him yeah wow <laughs> so have you met him yet no we haven't recorded <laughs> we haven't recorded him and Catherine yet um but uh so yeah that's super exciting like yeah. I would yeah yeah I mean I, I I I'm a massive fan of Buffy so that that to meet to meet Giles would be amazing. Uh, Although, of course, it would be awkward because I would call him Giles and that yeah. would be inappropriate because it's not his actual name. I know. That <laughs> is just... I just think that I'm going to call him Giles and then I'm just, <laughs> I've am just i just become really well known for giving people stupidly awkward, elongated hugs just out of thanks for them <laughs> doing this. And, and producer Nick's just like, it's OK, they are getting paid. You don't just have to thank them for doing it. They are There is money involved. But I'm just like you know, squeezing on to Richard Herring, like, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Yeah. It's like, oh. I don't think, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, uh, if, I, if I saw Anthony Head, it would be very, very hard to resist sort of hugging him and never letting him go. Yes. Uh, regardless of whether he was doing anything for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure uh, oh, getting better acquainted with you. And the last thing that I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Ah, oh, well, goodbye, audience. And thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. Keep listening. <laughs> thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> so. Check out Miranda's show on Audible. One thing that me and Miranda realised just after we finished recording is that we never really had used the term decriminalisation, which is the kind of sex work law that Miranda and Sex Worker Open University and many sex worker rights organisations and Amnesty and the UN and all sorts of people think that decriminalisation is the best law that we could have around sex work. We didn't use the term decriminalisation, although we talked about it in many ways. If you want to get an idea of what decriminalisation means and get more background information about sex worker rights, I recommend listening to the previous Getting Better Acquainted episode that I did with Tony from Sex Worker Open University. And she made an amazing video as well that is really worth your time. It's a TED talk. It's was originally a TEDx but now it's on the TED main website and it is about the kind of law that sex workers want and it goes through all of the different models and how they all work and why some of them don't work and others do work and it's a really great uh, piece of work to be so accessible in such a small amount of time and so engaging to listen to so I'm really impressed just technically by that video but it is also really essential start to understanding sex worker issues I think that's my opinion I am not an expert on these things but Tony is so do listen to her you can find Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook and on Twitter. It's at GBA Podcast. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm GooseFat101. Thanks very much for listening. 
And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted. In January 2016, I discovered a mystery and decided to make a podcast about it. It's coming out in the autumn and it's called The Family Tree. I can't explain it. I've gone through every possible explanation and none of them are possible explanations. It's important to remember some sympathy, I think, at this point, because the mystery, the strangeness, with that mystery, with that strangeness, we, we might lose sight of the fact that there's human beings involved. Uh, it's very difficult to know where to start. So he had no arm. But the body had two. But the body had, had two. It can't have been the same body. What is your stake in this? What I know how to do is to talk to people that's the only way I can really think of, of, of approaching this mystery. I don't understand why everyone in the family is just being a bit strange about it. If ghosts do exist, I think they wouldn't look how they looked when they, when they died. They'd go back to how they looked in life, so, so Dad's ghost would have an arm. If everyone's running away in one direction, away from an injustice, he would run straight towards it. It doesn't feel right. The image you have of your parents at that age isn't yeah. necessarily the person that that person actually if is. If you disappeared and then we found your body and it wasn't you... It says in this in this Metro story, the family declined to comment on the mystery. I mean, who's the dad Or you'd spent so much time with if your dad is a body that can't be the dad that you grew up with? It doesn't make any sense. All of those years, was he dead or alive, they didn't know. Now they know that he was dead... But that's not answered the question. It's another question, right? You're asking a whole bunch of strangers really personal questions. And I know people have agreed, so that's, that's fine. But then recording it, I don't know what your motives are. It's sort of a little bit creepy. The Family Tree Podcast. Co. Uk.